the year leading up to this Christmas weekend has been no different than any other year. We're still reeling from one of the most divisive presidential elections the nation has seen in a long time. With the polarity and hostility between Americans at an all-time high. This past year, black men were killed just one day apart from each other in Baton Rouge and Minneapolis by police officers. Reigniting again the whole debate of police practices and launching the Black Lives Matter movement. Ambushes and targeted attacks on police officers were the highest ever this past year. Claiming the lives of at least 20 officers. And on top of that, the worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history took place this past year in a gay nightclub in Orlando. When a gunman ruthlessly killed 49 people over the course of what must have been a terrifying three hours trapped in a nightclub. People all created in the image of God. And across the globe again this year, terrorism has continued its relentless march with attacks in the Brussels airport, Istanbul, a park filled with women and children in Pakistan, and a seafront boulevard in France where 86 people were killed with a truck bomb. And I could go on. If you read the news, you know more. And so is it any wonder that according to a New York Times article, suicide in the United States this past year surged to its highest level we've seen in over 30 years. With increases in suicide across every age group, including middle-aged women, 45 to 64 years old, a 63% increase. Not teenage girls, middle-aged women taking their own lives. And it's not just here in the United States. Other educated, progressive, wealthy countries like Japan are seeing the same thing. Japan saw 70 suicides a day this past year as people struggled to make sense of life and to find hope in the midst of job pressures and depression and family expectations. So how should we process all the suffering and pain and injustice that's in the world all around us year after year after year? And what about us as Christians? Does our faith make any difference And does the Christmas we as Christians celebrate according to the Bible, does it offer any hope? Does it offer any hope in the face of all that's going on in our world? Well, I want to read for you four verses from the Bible that I believe answer some of the most important questions that human beings wrestle with, sometimes out loud, But more often than not, we wrestle with them internally, quietly, privately. As we see the world and we try to find hope and we try to make sense out of such a fallen, broken world. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me. If you don't, that's fine. Just listen as I read from the book of Galatians chapter 4. 
Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I believe that short passage, those four little verses, answer some of the most important questions that people, human beings created in the image of God wrestle with. Here's the first question I think it answers. Is there a God? In a world like this, with this so much, so much that's broken, so much that's wrong, so much injustice, is there a God? And the passage answers, if you're thinking, I don't see the answer in that passage, Brad, I didn't hear that. Well, it's because the passage answers that question the same way it always does all through the Bible. It just starts with God. But when the fullness of time had come, God. There it is, without any explanation. You find the same thing in the very first book of the Bible. The the Bible begins in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, say it, God. You don't get a preface with arguments, building a case for God, just in the beginning, God, and here we have, but when the fullness of time had come, God, without explanation, God, existing eternally outside of time, inserting himself into history at just the right time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The Bible never spends any time defending the existence of God or building a case for God. Why? Because the author of this book, God himself, knows that you know there's a God. He knows that you know there's a God because he's already put that and set that in place. You say, how, Brad? Creation itself, my friend, Creation itself declares and displays and puts on display the power and glory of God. You don't even have to be a Christian to be drawn to creation, right? People are are taken with creation. Even in a fallen, broken world, mountains and oceans and orchids and birds and mathematics and music and culture and culinary arts and on and on and biology and science, the complexity... And design and order of our mind-blowing universe is a constant declaration that there's a God. There's a God. There's a God. That's why Romans chapter 1 says that men are without excuse 
Because what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made. So that men are without excuse. You won't stand before God and say, I didn't know. I didn't know. Oh, you knew. You have to actually work hard to not think about God and manufacture other explanations that actually are filled with holes and have all kinds of gaps and are very weak, but you'd rather believe it because we're so sinful and stubborn and arrogant and we want to be autonomous. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to call the, the shots in our lives. We don't want there to be a God, but we know there's a God. Creation. Oh, but there's more. Because you're created in the image of God as human beings... God gave us a conscience. And the Bible says his law is written on our conscience. You don't have to pick up the Bible to know there's a right and wrong, a good and evil, truth and error. Because you're created in the image of God and you're not an aardvark or a golden retriever or a house plant, you and I have this innate sense of right and wrong and that there must be a source of truth and good and evil. Creation conscience oh but here's what just seals the deal then god's word tells us in ecclesiastes that he has placed eternity in our hearts you know what that means that means nothing in this world art sex food career fame sports you name it nothing in this world will ever be big enough To fill and fully satisfy the longings of your heart. You were made for more. You were made for more. I was made for more. Creation, conscience, eternity. Oh, is there a God? Yes. Always has been. It's just that God chose the most pregnant in the fullness of time, the most pregnant moment in history to manifest himself in the most tangible, unforgettable way ever. God in flesh. God in flesh. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. See, that moves us to the second question that you might have stirring inside of you. Okay, if there's a God that exists, I've got a bigger question, Brad. Does he care about me? Does he even know we're here? Does he care? To say that God exists is not the same as to say he exists and he sees me and he cares. Does God care about us? Is he a God who cares about us or is he just some cold, stoic God that watches from a distance like Bette Midler sang about three decades ago. He's just watching, watching, watching from a distance. Not very helpful. Or is he a God that cares? God cares. Because our passage says he sent forth his son. 
In other words, God gave us his son. That's what the Bible verse in John 3.16 is talking about when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Does God care? He cared enough to send us his son into our world to become one of us. Because this passage tells us that he was born of a woman. Became one of us. That's what Christmas is all about. If you've gotten lost and confused with Miracle on 34th Street and the Scrooge or Christmas Story and you'll shoot your eye out. All those things are wonderful. I try to do them all. But don't do that and miss the main thing of Christmas. This is the heart and soul of Christmas. What I'm reminding you of here, the incarnation, the mystery of the incarnation that God, who has always existed and you've known it, took on flesh and became one of us. Fully God and fully man. The mystery of the incarnation. Nation. And you got to understand this revelation and explanation of God is in a category unto itself. You don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can think of other religions that have that same kind of deal going on. No, you can't. This is in a category unto, its, unto itself. It's unlike any other concept of God. No other religion proposes God what God himself reveals to us about himself in the Bible. That's why no other religion comes even close to providing the hope that Christianity does. God with us. God in flesh. You remember any of your Greek mythology? Remember what the Greek gods were like and and the gospels were written in a day that this was the thinking. Remember what the Greek gods were like? Very different than the God of the Bible. They were always petty and selfish. In fact, the very basis for the Greek idea of God was detachment. Detachment. While the heart and soul of the God of the Bible is identity with us, suffering with us, and suffering for us. There's no other religion like that. Commenting on this radical distinction of Christianity, William Barclay writes this. He says, quote, the Stoics, the highest Greek thinkers, said the primary attribute of God was apatheia. That's where we get our English word apathy. By which they meant the essential inability to feel anything at all. Their concept of God was God is God because he has the inability to feel anything. That's what makes him God. That's not the God of the Bible. The other Greek school was the Epicureans. They held that the gods lived in perfect happiness and blessedness, but they lived in what they called the intermundia, or the space between our world and theirs. And so they were outside of and unaware of or concerned about us and our world. He goes on to say, and into that world of thought came the Christian Religion, with its incredible conception of a God who had deliberately undergone every human experience, Christianity depicted God not so much involved as identified with 
the suffering of this world. It is almost impossible for us to realize the revolution that Christianity brought about in people's relationship to God. For century after century, they'd been confronted with the idea of the untouchable God. And now they discovered one who had gone through all that man must go through. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. But as radical and wonderful as that is, it still leaves you with another question that maybe already is rumbling around in you. Yeah, God exists. Yes, he cares. And he suffers with us. But has he done anything to fix the mess that we're in? Has God done anything? In other words, can he help us in our mess Or does he just care and he suffers with us, but it is what it is. He's a compassionate God, but he doesn't have the power or plan. Oh, no, no, no. Here's where our passage takes it up a notch. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. You see, Jesus didn't become human just to identify with us. He does. Or to suffer with us. He does. He came to solve our biggest problem, which is our sin problem that separates us from a holy God. And oh, by the way, it's that sin problem that is the very root. It is the root of all the suffering and injustice that makes the headlines of our newspapers year after year After year, after year, it is the reason as to why there will never be fully peace on earth between countries until there's peace in their hearts with the prince of peace. Until they're at peace with the God of the universe, we will not be at peace with each other. He came to solve our biggest problem that is not a health problem or a financial problem or an educational problem. It's the sin problem that separates us from a holy God. See, that word redeem means to buy back, to purchase, to pay a price. And it was always related to someone who was enslaved, someone who was captured, someone who was in bondage. And the Bible teaches that we are born not free. We're born slaves of sin. That's why perhaps sometimes you have enough sense to even say to yourself, why do I do what I do? It's not even good for me sometimes. Why do I want what I want? Why is it so hard to stop? Why even when I quote a few weeks from now, we're going to turn over a new leaf and try to do something different. Why can't I? Because you're a slave to your own desires and sin. You're not born free, but he came to set you free. Born of a woman, born under the law. So he knows what it's like to try to measure up to God's law. And he did. His perfect life perfectly kept God's standard and demands. And then his perfect death purchased us, redeemed us, bought us back, paid the price for our sins that we might be free. That we might go from slaves to sons, from rejection to adoption, from judgment to an eternal inheritance outside of this world that cannot be shaken or taken from you. 
the baby who was born in a stable and laid in a manger did not come just to feed the hungry, did not come just to heal the lame and open blind eyes. He came to die for us on the cross where our sins were placed on him. And he took the punishment that we should have received so that we could be free. That's why Jesus cried out from the cross just before his death. It is finished. Not I am finished, for he rose again and he knew he was going to rise again. It is finished. What was finished? There were still hungry people in the villages. There were still deaf children and blind men. There were still injustices. The mission for which he'd been sent, the very reason for which God the Father sent his son to be born of a woman was to solve our biggest problem, our sin problem. In that moment, the payment was being made for the sins of every man or woman, black, white, young, old, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, who would ever cry out to him for mercy and say, yes, Lord Jesus, save me. I need a savior. I'll never fix myself. I can never be good enough. I can never live up to the law. It's finished. And so now maybe I hope that you might be saying, okay, Brad, he exists, he cares, he's done something about our biggest problem, but how, how could that become my story? How could he help me? Oh, there's one word. Our passage answers that question with one little word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. You have to believe that Jesus is who the scriptures testify that he is. I'm not saying believe that he exists. You'd be a fool to not believe he exists. He existed. The question is, who was he? Was he just a good man? Was he just a teacher? Was he just an example? Or was he God in flesh? You have to believe that he is who the scriptures testify that he is and who he claimed to be. And then you have to receive him. Receive him into your life. It's the same thing that John was writing about in the gospel of John when he said in John 1.12, but as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. But maybe you're saying, Brad, it can't be that easy, man. It's gotta be something I have to do to get this. Listen, it's not complicated. But it's actually not easy. If you know anything about the human heart, it's not easy. Because here, to receive a gift, my friend, your hands have to be empty. Which means you have to stop clinging to whatever it is that you keep thinking is what puts you ahead of other people. What it is that earns you favor with God. What it is that makes you a better person than other people, unlike other people. And you regularly put yourself in a category outside the rest of humanity and you don't see your need. You're constantly seeing yourself as better than others. News alert. 
It's actually very, very hard to lay all that down and simply say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Have mercy. I bring nothing but my sin. Have mercy. Because the human heart is so proud and we're so bent towards self-sufficiency and self-autonomy. This is hard. Receive him. When you humble yourself, swallow your pride and choose to receive Jesus. The last verse says, oh my goodness, you go from being a slave to sin to being a son and daughter. From being rejected to adopted and you have an inheritance. Something outside of this world now that your hope is in. And you begin to live with love, joy, and peace inside you, regardless of what's going on around you. Because Jesus lives in you. And he is the prince of peace. As we close, let me ask you to bow your heads. And I want you to think about this. Never mind humanity in general or people in general. What about you? Where are you today? I'm not asking you if you're religious. You obviously showed up at a Christmas Eve service. I'm asking you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Does he live in you? Do you have love, joy, and peace? Not happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances that come and go. Happiness is based on people doing what you want. And every now and then the planets align and they do. But not for long. Happiness is based on my job going the way. Happiness is always based on circumstances and people. While joy. When you have Jesus inside. Joy and peace from deep within. That's founded on being right with your creator God of the universe and your biggest problem being solved. Do you have that? Love, joy, peace. If you were to say, Brad, I, I, I don't, I don't. I've always thought that I had whatever it is I need to have, but I don't have that. If you would like to receive Jesus, And that's how the Bible words it. Receive him. Not believe that he existed. Receive him. Bow the knee. Empty hands. Yes, Lord Jesus. I want you to simply pray after me. You don't have to pray out loud. God sees your heart. Knows exactly what's going on with you. Just say, dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. I could never save myself. I cannot fix myself. I cannot keep your standard perfectly, the law. I can't. And I believe that you sent your son into this world to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law like me. And that when he died on the cross, he paid the price for my sins. I believe. I want to receive him into my life as Lord.